Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. Our mission is to live the way of Jesus so we can leave the world better than we found it. If you'd like more information about our church, you can click on the link in the show notes or head to Christ-community.com. All right, let's get started. All right, now let's turn our attention to today's scripture reading. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net in the lake where they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Together, Thank you, brother. Um, good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, we're looking at the call of Jesus, right, uh, to his disciples. And so I wonder, as we get started here, uh, when you think about that word calling, what pops into your head? Um, calling. It's, uh, right, we can think of it in, in various different ways. As I was just kind of ruminating on calling, the, the thing that really popped into my head uh, was 1990s uh, prepaid long-distance cards. Did you, did you, have you ever messed with these at all or not? Yeah. Uh, I spent, I, I may have said something about this at some point, but I spent a couple, uh, two summers when I was in college uh, in Eastern Europe doing some ministry stuff and, you know, in whatever it was, uh, 99, 2000. This was the only way uh, that my parents could know anything about me at all. <laughs> that was it. I had to go get MCI uh, prepaid cards or whatever they happen to be and like scratch off the back of them, get, get my code, and then go wander the streets of these Eastern European cities and try to find a payphone. Right, uh, payphones, by the way, were telephones that were just everywhere. Uh, there'd be these booths, right? And uh, you got to go, you find a payphone somewhere out on some corner somewhere and uh, put in your little code, put in your country code first, which, you know, the reason some of this came up is that uh, what for some reason my nephew said, Did you know that there's a country code? You've got to dial one to get to America. Like, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, so I told him uh, some of this story, uh, and it's just wild to think about, right? The calling and how it used to be really difficult, and probably in some parts of the world, uh, it still is. But now, if you go overseas, you just pull out the tiny supercomputer in your pocket, and they're finding a, a payphone anymore. You don't even have to be bothered to use your entire hands. To type your message, you use your thumb. Right? Use your thumb to say good morning. Hope you're doing well. It's amazing. I don't know that that pops into anybody else's head in terms of calling, unless you uh, spent a couple summers overseas uh, in college. But what do you think about calling? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe uh, a calling out a physical. Hey. Maybe a uh, job, vocation, right? 
the, the etymology is the same there. Think about that ever before, like, oh yeah, vocation, vocal cords. Those are similar words. Uh, the etymology is, is rooted to Latin words. There's a long history of connection uh, between uh, these concepts of an actual vocal sound and being called into work of some sort. Uh, even though there's a long history there, but there's a bit of a disconnect for us in the modern world, isn't there? Uh, I remember just a few years ago, something someone said something about vocation and calling kind of even being similar words. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I miss that for so long? We're seeing both in the passage today. There's both this uh, uh, physical, this calling out from Jesus uh, and uh, a new calling, a new work for these disciples, isn't there? And so as we step into this, I'm going to pray for us for just a moment, uh, but I want to ask you a question that I often ask at the beginning, which is, if you, are you ready for good news? Is your heart ready for good news this morning? Or does the rain just weigh you down so much? You just kind of hear. Uh, has the week just weighed you down with stuff, whatever that might be? Uh, do you long for good news this morning? Let me pray that the Lord might reset our hearts, that we'd be ready for it, if not, okay? Lord, uh, we do. We ask now that our hearts would be soft to uh, not what uh, Garrett's agenda is for this sermon this morning, but for what you have for us in and through it. We pray that our hearts would be ready to hear gospel, would be ready to hear uh, good news uh, instead of just trying to put up the veneer of being enough, doing enough, whatever it might be. Uh, Lord, meet us here by your spirit. Change us, we ask. Amen. All right. So we're talking calling. We're here in this series. It's week three. Uh, we're going to do a couple more weeks of this, and we'll, we'll have some guest preachers in. Thorne's going to preach for us at the beginning of February. Um my friend uh, Daryl Ford is going to come preach for us as well, so that'll be exciting in the next few weeks, and we'll, so we'll come back to this Mark series in a couple months, actually. So we'll we'll wrap up this portion of it here in January, and then we'll come back around. We'll call it the Once and Future King, because Mark is introducing us to the King, right? Mark is introducing us in kind of a unique way to the one who came as the, the son of God uh, to bring the kingdom near. And he's calling his disciples into that. And so just super brief flyover again, if you haven't been with us at all, or if you're kind of forgetting it this morning, Mark is probably the earliest gospel. The title, by the way, is Exploring the Earliest Gospel. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Mark's probably the, the earliest gospel. It's short. It's to the point. It's somewhat abrupt at points. It's more uh, rudimentary writing than the other gospel records. It's more concerned with action than teaching. So if you're to compare this account with parallels in the other gospels, there's more information. Mark is like this than this. He uses phrases like uh, immediately or without delay that you saw uh, in this morning's passage a lot. Historically, it's thought to be uh, the gospel according to John Mark, who had spent significant time with Paul, with Barnabas, and with Peter, uh, and supposedly based upon the preaching of Peter. Now, this is not something that we know for sure, so this is not something that we base any doctrine on, really, uh, but it seems to check out, right? So this is kind of, this is the story of the church, and it's like, yeah, that lines up with the things that Peter said, okay? So 
some context for us there. Uh, a commentator says that uh, in this story in particular, by beginning Jesus' ministry with this account, what Mark does is he shows that the disciples were qualified to be the witnesses of his entire ministry. And so Mark is starting out this way, and then Mark, again, is thought to be probably the earliest gospel. And so uh, the other gospel writers likely would have based what they were writing on uh, some of Mark's outline also. So the roots of it all here, like right at the beginning, is this is the testimony of the apostles about the Son of God, about the King uh, to come, the King who was, once, and is to come, right? And so this is what it's rooted in. This is, this is you heard me say this, I'm going to say it a lot, because uh, it's a very popular these days uh, to kind of say like, well, did Jesus really say that? But what do you know that Jesus said apart from what the apostles told you, man? Nothing, <laughs> right? It's all based on the apostles' testimony, and Mark is rooting it uh, in that right here, right? So the content this morning is fairly simple. My aim would be to spend a little more time for us on the application. So here we go. Uh, first thing, Jesus boldly called people to follow him. We see that pretty clearly, don't we? Verse 17, follow me. <laughs> He's right in on it. Come follow me. Uh, and then again, a, a Markism without delay or immediately. He goes on a little further to a, a few more folks. Without delay, he says, uh, he called them. Uh, these are people who almost certainly knew Jesus who were likely, uh, some of them anyway, his cousins as well. And I uh, threw up the map on the screen last week. I'd uh, love to see it again. There we go. So uh, it's a little too small, unfortunately. Sorry about that. But this is, this is like in his neck of the woods, right? Nazareth, uh, where he grows up, is over here. The Sea of Galilee is right here. These are fishing uh, communities. These are people who would have had some knowledge of one another, almost certainly. Uh, often were family, or, you know, or like, uh, these two are my cousins, and that guy's in business with my cousins. So they know something about him here, which, like, if anybody knows anything about you, you're like, are they going to follow me? <laughs> that's always a question for me. I don't know, know about you, but that is a that's a pastor question right there. Like, oh, now they know me. I've been here a year. Are they going to follow me? Uh, and there's there's no question here, is there? Uh, that, again, the other Gospels give us a little more information of interaction that went on there with Jesus showing them uh, his power, his authority as the king who can command uh, all sorts of things. But nonetheless, it's like it's pretty immediate. They drop the nets. They follow Jesus, even though it's their cousin, <laughs> or even though it's this guy that they, they know of. It's a big deal. Another thing to note here is just that typically from what I understand, from what I have seen, uh, followers typically chose their rabbis or, or would request, would you be my guru? <laughs> would you be my rabbi? Would you be my teacher? Would you be my uh, discipler is our, is our more modern term that we totally made up. It's not a real word, by the way, right? It's discipliner if you were going to use a real word. But uh, that's what happens. Typically, followers are going to say, I want to be mentored by so-and-so. I want to be taught by this person. I'm going to seek them out, not vice versa, except with God. Except with God. God calls. Think about various examples 
in the Old Testament. Exodus 3, uh, God appears in this bush that is on fire and yet not being consumed. God calls to Moses, right? Uh, Isaiah 6, God appears to Isaiah in the temple and calls him into the prophetic ministry. First uh, Kings 19 is a particularly interesting little kind of parallel there as Elijah uh, chooses Elisha, says, come on. I mean, he like basically just throws a cloak at him, which is very strange, but he chose him and said, come on, you're coming with me. God does the seeking. God does the seeking. We see that here. And Jesus boldly called them because he is calling them into what God has for them. God seeks people. And, you know, our experience is we may seek absolutely, right? We may, uh, in our experience, feel like I'm seeking to understand God better. I need to join that Bible study. I need to go to that church service. I need to actually seek yes and amen, absolutely. And what we find when we show up is that he's been the one doing the seeking all along. He's the one who started out. He's the one who is coming after you still. God does the seeking. And, you know, again, uh, they know Jesus. Uh, he's calling them out. They're following him. It's kind of this, this strange thing. They're just leaving their nets. They're leaving dad. We'll get to that here in a second. And, but there's, there's no sales pitch. You see that? I mean, even in the gospel accounts where there's a little more information, there's no sales pitch. Jesus is the draw. That is it. <laughs> I mean, he shows them what he can do. Maybe they've heard a little bit about uh, things he's been doing all around the area and some of these towns around the Sea of Galilee. But that's it. That's it. There's no like, ah, uh, what, what does this, is there a benefit package? Is there insurance with this? <laughs> no, no, no. Jesus is the draw. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing, which reminds me of a quote that's attributed to A.W. Tozer, uh, who says this, you win them to what you win them with. You win people to what you win them with. There's no bait and switch with Jesus, is there? <laughs> Again, there's no like, look at all the great benefits of following me. No, it's, come on, I'll make you fishers of men. Come on, I'll help you pick up your cross. No sales pitch at all. There's the love of God present for sure. There are benefits and positives. Yes, 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 yes. Don't let my emphasis uh, uh, erase that for you for a second, right? But, but nonetheless, Jesus is the draw himself, even when he's the one doing the calling. Second thing, uh, Jesus boldly called his followers to pursue his mission with him. I will send you out to fish for people, the NIV translates it there in verse 17, right? And uh, there's a, an Old Testament parallel here as well. Jeremiah 16 says, behold, I'm sending out for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin. So there's this Old Testament imagery of fishers being sent out for men, and it ain't good. And Jesus is redeeming that, isn't he? Jesus is taking this and saying, oh, I'm, I'm sending out fishers for men. Yeah, but it's going to be way different than just that. And there's redemption as part of it as well. And so he's calling them into this. He's calling them uh, not just to learn and to grow, 
That's good. That's part of it. Uh, but he's calling them into mission. He's calling them alongside of him. He's calling them to a thing. And so beware of any formulation of following Jesus that does not contain the fishing component of the mission. It's just a part of it, right? Uh, he's also clearly calling them to transformation, though, in and through that. There's no divorce of the two for Jesus, is there? I will make you to become fishers of people would be a better way of translating that. NIV kind of misses the mark here, right? To say like, hey, follow me. And what's it say again? Uh, I will send you out to fish for people. Uh, that's true. That's an example of sometimes uh, translations will try to translate like word for word as much as they can, which will make them clunky and harder to read. Some translations like the NIV will try to take it phrase by phrase and just try to, it's called dynamic equivalence, uh, try to make it make sense and flow as best as possible. A lot of times those are the better ones to read, to kind of flow and get the idea. But every once in a while, there's something that's like, ooh, you can't miss that if you're not really paying attention to the language. What Jesus is saying is not just, come on, we'll go fishing. Right? I will make you into fishers of men. So there's a both and. It's uh, I will turn you into one who is uh, drawing in people. And so they didn't merely become fishers of fish by getting in a boat, did they? It's part of it, for sure. You can't become a fisher on the land. Uh, well, I guess you can in some, <laughs> some respects, right? <laughs> uh, but not their kind of fishing. You got to get out there. You got to be a part of the process. And yet, you have to be taught also, don't you? Uh, someone has to walk alongside you and explain. And in this case, it is the God-man who is also going to be doing uh, transforming as well. Uh, so part of, part of being taught is certainly getting on the boat as well. Uh, but he's calling them into uh, this transformative mission. He's not calling them to a title. This is one of the most dangerous things for us to desire to get called into a title. He's calling them into something very, very different. He's calling them into, I, I, I think, you know, one of the phrases that we've used is whole discipleship. We're not going to miss either side of it here. A whole discipleship, my whole life aimed at uh, following the way of Jesus. And so there's there's fishing in there, and there's the transformation of being made into the fisher as well, right? There's, there's growth personally, spiritually, uh, and there's this process of, and gosh, I would love others to know this as well. There's receiving life, and there's bringing others into life. It's just this constant sort of cycle that God is up to in and through his people. Third thing, Jesus boldly called people to devote their lives to this pursuit. Whole life. Verse 16, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen, and he calls them. Verse 18, at once they left their nets and followed him. And if there was any doubt about it, like the first go-round, Verse 19, and when he got a little further, he saw James and John preparing their nets, <laughs> right? If, if the first time was surprising in the least, the second time wasn't. He was calling them into a whole life thing. 
says uh, James and John left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men uh, and followed him. There's an, an immediacy there, right? That Mark is accurate in describing that immediacy, even while some of the other authors give more detail of what that immediacy meant. These guys said, we're all in. Here we go. Jesus's mission is worth it. They, they saw this. Jesus's mission was is worth my time. It's worth my time. And so they gave up all of their time, basically. You know, they dedicated all of their time uh, to this mission. That doesn't mean they didn't eat and sleep and have fun together, I'm sure. But they, uh, their whole lives switched. It's like the difference between uh, downloading a new app onto your phone and having an entirely new operating system. New operating system. All their time, Jesus's. Uh, Jesus' mission is worth my livelihood. They walked away from their jobs. Don't worry. I'm not going to say you need to quit your job this week or anything, okay? But it's worth it. If he did call you, it's worth it, 100%. They walked away from their livelihood. They walked away from uh, their own sovereignty over the way that they spent their time. They walked away from family as well to some extent. Now, uh, we know uh, there's a passage that we'll look at uh, even next week of Jesus uh, talking or going and healing Peter's mother-in-law. So they didn't just abandon family. That's not what's being talked about here. The scriptures make super clear that uh, people need to care for their families. Uh, but it is leaving the comfort of home. It, it's leaving the constant presence. And again, the ability to just maybe walk next door, uh, ask for some sugar, <laughs> Uh, have child care. Jesus' mission is worth it. Jesus' mission was worth their glory as well. We talk about uh, the Gospel of Mark being based on the testimony of Peter. This story is as good as it gets for Peter and the disciples, like the rest of the way through this gospel and the other ones, basically. Like, this is the high point for the disciples. Jesus called, and they immediately obeyed and never did again. <laughs> Even in, like, their own testimony about themselves, they are so willing to say, and man, I didn't get it. I missed it completely, and Jesus was so gracious with me and came and met me uh, and grew me up and made me into the scriptures, et cetera, right? It, it was worth it to give up their glory. Like much of your life, you can manipulate to look good. You just can. Uh, if you feel like, man, I never look good, uh, you could probably Google pretty fast and figure out like, oh, there are ways. I can manipulate this. I can make myself look uh, pretty glorious, pretty easily. I don't necessarily hang out with all the same people, but, uh, but I can craft my persona in such a way that I get glory, right? It's not that hard. Uh, they gave up the, the right to reframe their own reputations, didn't they? They gave up their glory and it was worth it. It was worth it. They gave up their right to be called amazing. I don't know if people are doing this as much anymore, but for a long time, it bothered me so much. The overuse of the word amazing, like, ah, oh, it was amazing. That restaurant was amazing. 
oh, that song, that worship was amazing. Like, no, 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 no. Jesus is amazing. We just sang about him. That's all that we just talked about him. Like, the sermon ain't amazing. The best one is not. Uh, Jesus is, right? Now, his glory uh, is worth it. His mission is worth it because that's where life is. Life is with him. Uh, life is uh, alongside of him in our mission. When Jesus says, I am the life, he means this. He means this. And so here's a summation for us. Giving our lives to the pursuit of God and his mission actually gives life to us and to the world. And to the world. And the disciples knew it, even though they doubted it. Uh, even though they couldn't figure out how that fleshed out to their into their lives in many ways, still had to be told, hey, you don't get the glory. You're not going to get my right and my left hand seats, by the way, in the kingdom. Uh, right? Even though they had to be told again, you, you're going to have to take your cross up, actually. That's what this is all about. They still, they knew it. And it's evident here. Despite uh, their many mess ups, their trajectory was set on Jesus set on Jesus, and that meant it was set on his mission then as well, because they knew he was worth it. He was worth it. So, the gospel, don't hear what I'm not saying here. Don't hear what I'm not saying, right? But the gospel makes us bold. Again, I'm not, what I'm not saying is that I'm trying to turn you into a salesperson. Right? Jesus is not trying to turn you into a multi-level marketing uh, scheme of a human spiritually, right? There are all these memes. I pulled up a few, put them on the screen. I try to keep them small enough because so they'd be you can read them. Because the first line of most of them is like, hey, girl, <laughs> hey, girl, I'm that friend who used to bully you in high school. And then they say a bunch of mean things under need that they're not edifying so we don't need them in here but there's this meme of multi-level marketing right uh some of the some of the things might be good that people are selling i have no earthly idea because if you if you ever have a multi-level marketing scheme i'm so sorry i'm not going to uh right because I, I i don't want to engage with being sold on stuff very much do you probably not you know, on the one hand, there's this reality that uh, I can't think of, maybe I'm wrong, you can prove me wrong, feel free, I can't think of any growing world religion uh, other than Christianity that grows via conversion. Not really, not on a large scale, not from what I can see and think of historically. No other religion grows this way via conversion and on some level persuasion, Right? Most grow through conquest and through birth. And Christianity certainly has uh, had some of those things as well. But nonetheless, for the most part, uh, there's this sense that the gospel is going forward via uh, conversion, persuasion. And so that is true. Uh, and on the other hand, conversion and persuasion is not sales. Wow. And, and I used the multi-level marketing thing as sort of a uh, caricature to some degree, uh, because there's so many memes out there about it these days as well, right? So whether it's multi-level marketing or back in the day, it was the door-to-door -door vacuum salesman guy, right? That you're like, oh, oh, no, no, you don't want that guy. And that's why evangelists don't do go door-to-door -door anymore. 
because uh, of the salesman and uh, the uh, sort of connection that was going there, right? Why do you not want that? They're a great salesman, by the way. Uh, why do you not want that? Uh, because we feel like we're being treated as an agenda, not as a human with dignity. I have no earthly idea what's going on back there, but I hope it's fun. That's all I'm, that's all I'm thinking. Uh, right? I hope it's fun and they're learning about Jesus. Oh, man. Uh, we have no desire to be treated as an agenda, do we? Uh, whether it is essential oils or door-to-door -door vacuum sales or Jesus himself. No desire whatsoever. Uh, and yet, uh, the reality is uh, many, many folks who are good in that world, even in sales, you know what they do? My best friend is a great salesman. He just builds relationships with people. He's just friends with people and they need the things that he has. And so he's pretty good at it, actually. Uh, and I think that is what God calls us into. Not sales, uh, but just walking with people, loving people. I heard Louis Giglio say one time, I think I've said this before, but he's, he says he'll never train people in evangelism. Uh, now, I think a little bit of evangelism training might be helpful here and there, but Louis says, I, I'm never going to do it. You know why? Because you already know how. You already know how. You ever tell anyone about a great band or song or restaurant or new technology or anything in your life? You did evangelism. There you go. Right. Uh, and so there's this reality that Jesus is calling us into just loving and living alongside of people authentically uh, and having uh, boldness enough to be able to, to share about life uh, when it happens, right? A cycle of life-giving pursuit is what we're called into. I'm going to wrap this up uh, with a string of quotations uh, from several different Wendell Berry books. Some of them are kind of longer, but um, I mentioned earlier this year that I was, I was reading a book from Wendell Berry called Hannah Coulter, uh, and then sort of with all the craziness of the fall and moving here, et cetera, I put it down and kind of forgot about it for a while, and then toward the end of the year, picked it back up and finished it and really, uh, really enjoyed it. And so uh, it uh, is a, a novel is written several years ago by Wendell Berry, uh, who's a, an author uh, who lives in Kentucky and also a farmer. So he lives kind of in his, in his old hometown and farms and writes. And he says this. It used to be that I could think of art, his writing, uh, as a refuge from troubles, from the imperfections of life. One could take refuge in the perfections of art. One could read a good poem, or better, write one. Art was what was truly permanent, therefore what truly mattered. The rest was but a spume that plays upon a ghostly paradigm of things. I am no longer able to think that way. That's because I now live in my subject. My subject is my place in the world, and I live in my place. There is a sense in which I no longer, quote, go to work. If I live in my place, which is my subject, and that I am at my work, even when I am not working. And post-COVID, maybe many of us uh, connect with that. <laughs> You're working from home a whole lot. And so uh, Barry had gone away for a while after college uh, in a variety of places, ended up back uh, in his hometown to write about things that he knew well. And so that's what he, he means here. And so here's an illustration of his attempt to live 
his work, his calling. And I think uh, gives some amount of understanding for us of what God's call on us might be, actually. The disciples were called out of their work, weren't they? Just called out of being fishers for fish. Uh, Most of us are going to be called within our work, through our work even, right? Uh, To be uh, fisher accountants, fisher professors, fisher mothers, maybe even fisher salesmen. I think it's possible. Uh, we're called to follow Jesus through it and in it and, and to be conformed to him along the way, displaying his love and his joy and his peace, his patience, etc. Uh, we're called to build relationships as we are following him in and through it and being conformed to love others, to live authentically in that. Tim Keller says, just don't hide who you are. Just don't hide who you are. Just faith play into all your decisions in life and the things that you're tempted to and things that you struggle with, et cetera. Just be real. Don't hide who you are. Watch what God does with that. Called to build relationships, live authentically. And then when those inevitable questions with the human beings that you are loving, not as an agenda, but as humans with dignity, when their questions come up about life and about suffering and about maybe even spiritual things, because you've lived authentically, Now, you are there, and you can have the boldness to pursue those around you with life. And we're called to work well, of course, also. Called to work hard, as unto God, Colossians 3 says. Work to restore what's broken here and now. We're called to bring flourishing as well. Now, that's easy in the paradigm of farming and gardening. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks uh, also. But nonetheless, uh, we're, we're called to do good work, and that's part of the whole thing as well. That's part of glorifying God here and now and being on his mission, and it's actually part of the fishing as well. It's all together. It's all together. Barry, again, he says, during the last 17 years, I've been working at the restoration of a once exhausted hillside. Its scars are now healed over, though still visible. And this year has provided abundant pasture, more than in any year since we have owned it. But to make it as good as it is is now has taken 17 years. If I had been a millionaire or if my family had been starving, it would still have taken 17 years. It could be better than it is now. But that will take longer for it to live fully in its own responsibility as it did before bad use ran it down may take hundreds of years. Barry's imaginary world based on his little Kentucky farming community uh, is uh, these characters that he describes uh, wrestling with the modern world around them and yet having an almost timeless aspect uh, to them as well. They are just in one another's lives to bless each other, to work, to be in the presence of one another and their God. And he calls them the membership. And so throughout the book of Hannah Coulter, you start to see like one by one, they're passing away. And then uh, at the end, the main character, Hannah, passes. And so here's his imagination of the next world. This is Hannah speaking of, uh, and Nathan is her husband who passed a bit before. She says, I'm standing at the gate. Nathan has been salting the cattle down at the edge of the woods below the spring. 
Now he's walking back up the hill toward the house toward me. He's walking in his thoughtful way with the salt bucket on his arm, looking around. He's whistling, as I know, over and over a piece of some old tune that will have the rhythm both of itself and of his breath. I'm watching him, but he's not seen me. And now he sees me. The expression on his face does not change, but now his intention has changed. He's walking toward me and nothing else. As he comes closer, he smiles a little, still whistling. I know that when he comes to where I am, he'll give me a big hug, and I want him to. I know how it's going to feel, the entire touch of him. He looks at me with a look, I know. The shiver of the altogether given passes over me from head to foot. A day is coming when you will be in the midst of your work and the Lord will call. He will call. Matthew 24 says, uh, people will be working in the field, uh, grinding at the mill together, just like any other day. And whether through death or if we actually live to see his coming, the Lord will call. Pursue life in him. Pursue others to give life to them along your way. And live and work in such a way that when the call comes, you receive the great joy of continuing to pursue the voice of your Lord in whatever field he has called you to cultivate. Let me pray. Lord, we know here and now you have indeed called us to cultivate. Some of us perhaps might have a, a more literal experience of that, where we're, we're cultivating uh, living things, plants and food, etc. Others have a, a little bit of a, a gap where we have to figure out what does it look like to cultivate in and through my teaching, my business, my relationships, my parenting. And yet, nonetheless, we know that, that you're calling us there. You're calling us to cultivate. You're calling us to uh, restore. You're calling us to be fishers in and through that also. And so we pray that you would set our hearts on the reality that you truly are life and your worth, uh, leaving behind whatever you might call us to leave behind. We know for the vast majority of Christians throughout history, only a handful have been apostles. Some are called into full-time ministry, yet all called into ministry. All called into your grand mission, pursuing you and the life that is in you and being bold enough to not hide who we are, just be real and offer others the true life that is in you when we have opportunity. It can feel so complex sometimes, and we overcomplicate it. Would you make us simple in this respect? Would you lead us forward? We pray in Christ's name alone.